You are listening to episode 56. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Okiki Podcast. Today's episode is a very special edition where I get to interview Weldon Gray, who is a Saskatoon's very own Renaissance instrument maker expert. Weldon has actually done many creative things in his time in Saskatchewan. Originally from the States, he has built a career where he actually toured the province as the Wacky Wizard doing magic shows for kids. And then he got into Renaissance instrument making when he built an affinity for Renaissance music. He has such an interesting and creative background and he actually makes these instruments from scratch. So if you get to see the video of this episode, you'll see that I actually got to enter his home and see his instruments that he has created himself. Also, be sure to check out his website, Graylor Lutes. And if you are enjoying these episodes, I would so appreciate if you gave me a review on Apple Podcasts and gave me a rating and subscribed. You can also subscribe and follow me on Spotify. I love to provide inspirational, educational, and informational episodes for you all. And if this has brought any value to your life at all, I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much and on with the episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien. everyone and welcome to the Okiki podcast and today I get the honor to interview Weldon Gray. He has done a lot of incredible things uh, in his time in Saskatchewan including being the wacky wizard and well, one of the reasons we met was actually through Kelly, um, a friend of my sister's and just I got to see the incredible work he's doing with recreations of renaissance instruments there's so many here and i just thought his work and he's like a gem in the city so thank you so much weldon for being willing to do this interview with me uh, happy to be here <laughs> yeah so if you don't mind telling our audience today um what was your educational and just career journey how did you get into this world of actually creating instruments is that where you started yeah. that'll be a disappointment <laughs> barely made it through high school <laughs> that's really interesting to know so so yeah what was your path really that led to this music and instrument creation well the first instrument i made was in high school and high school woodshop and i don't think there were, anybody was doing it back that was back when the earth was still square <laughs> and there weren't any kits. So anyway, I built a, a guitar in high school mm. and I guess that's where it started. 
yeah, so guitar, I assume there is a little bit more help there in terms of how to construct that because it's more commonly seen. So did that kind of get you thinking like, what else? Well, I didn't think of that for a long time because I grew up in a, in a very small town in Arizona where music was Tex Ritter and, and that's about it. You know, hmm. just country hmm. western music. There wasn't a lot of exposure. Hmm. So I, that didn't happen until I... Was that was actually an adult, and then mm. moved to a bigger city, and then I joined a choir. I was exposed to things like Beethoven and mm. Chopin and different types of music, which I loved. Right. And then further on, about twenty years ago, I saw a group called the Troubadours. Mm. The music was so beautiful; I just couldn't get over it. They did everything from about four to six hundred years ago. Wow. And it was all, the music was really cathartic. It was mm. uh, like it wasn't in your face. It was just beautiful. And I was so used to electric music where the volume is so high that mm-hmm. you're holding eardrums and you yeah. just, if it's not noisy, no, it's not worth doing. Mm. But And this was such a switch and I just loved it. So then I started looking into it and I thought, well, I'd like to have a lute. Mm. And so I tried to find out buying a lute and uh, I found out that you can't just buy a lute. And yeah, so then I started looking it up. I thought, well, I built guitars. I could probably make one. Huh. So I researched it, and the research was as much fun as building it. Interesting. So you really enjoyed that process then? Yeah, the research was really great because you learned so much about history and, hmm. and where the lute came from. And, and, you know, the lute came from the oud. The oud came from the Middle East, and, you know, from Persia. And... Uh, it goes on back, you know, that's the timeline on the, the oud mm-hmm. is that nobody really knows when the first oud was made. Wow. So it yeah. goes that far back. Yeah. But, hmm. Interesting. Wow. So that's a really incredible start because, you know, you heard this music, it touched you. I think of like chamber music even. It's so beautiful to hear. It's like sometimes there's a small group even, but the harmonies, it just really gets you in a different way. So as a music lover too, I can definitely relate to how different styles have different kind of effects. But then you took that next step of going, okay, I want to buy this instrument. Um, You couldn't find it, so I'm going to make this instrument. And you did the research. So again, like making that first instrument, what was that process? Was it hard to find the information? How did you even source like the types of materials you would need in the process? Like what was that initial process? Well, the internet is full of it. So that made it really easy for me to do the research. And I have a lot of librarians who are friends. And every time a book is discontinued and has anything to do with instruments, they call me and I come get it for free or buy it at the garage sale or whatever. So I have a good library, but the internet is just full. Mm. Uh, So like anything you want to learn, there's books available. If you really want to, you can find out Mm. about all kinds of instruments. Hmm. The lute was your first step. Where did that lead into? Because there's a lot of other instruments you've created since then. Uh, um, when did it kind of expand into a much bigger thing? Well, then it, I guess the next instrument, I made quite a few lutes, and then somebody wanted the ancient Clarsac, which is the early Irish harp, mm-hmm. which have completely disappeared from time except for specialized people like me who make them. And we have the Harp Club in Saskatoon, Early Irish Harp Club. Mm. But they are so specialized that they're so different than a real harp. The strings are wires or either 
a hairy silver brass gold and uh, wow. some of the wires depending on the, how much money you have to build it hmm. that was the next thing i made somebody wanted one really bad and uh, of course that's impossible to buy too so i started making those wow okay and do you mind telling our audience your process of making those because as weldon's explaining this it might sound like hey i just checked the internet i made it but are there really like measurements available out there? Are there really kind of Sometimes you frameworks? can find things. I found one of the most efficient ways to find paintings. And uh, people who lived in the Renaissance were usually smaller. I think I would have been a tall man then, and I'm five foot eight. So, which now is a short man. And uh, especially with, you know, some of these basketball players, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I looked like a midget. So, but then, so I found out that there's two bones. Yeah. Your, your funny bone here, mm -hmm. and then this bone here. Mm -hmm. If you can get a straight on view of that in a painting, you can measure that and then measure the instruments and just do the math. And you can find out real close how big that instrument was. And when you're saying pages, you're talking about as life-size as possible, or oh, you're just any paintings kind of gave you a Paintings page? from the Renaissance, hmm. like Vermeer. Okay. okay. Now, he was a human photocopier. People didn't understand what he was doing, but he was probably using a camera obscura. And uh, a lot of times people make that in their science class with a shoebox, mm. and they make a camera and it turns the image upside down. Mm. But anyway, he turned a room into a camera obscura, and a lot of his artwork was done in that room. Mm. And so everything was absolutely perfect. Uh, okay, so he was using very old technology to kind of really recreate this. Well, to him, it was really new technology. At the time, yes, yeah. of course, of course. But he was using what would be for us like a very like old school way of doing a photograph, like really finding yes. the science of it almost before it's, people uh, had really discovered it. look at his painting, one of the reasons they believed that he used the camera obscura, mm -hmm. because you don't know, at any time, there was a horizon line, like the line on the piano. Mm. It wasn't straight. Mm. It had a camber to it. And what he did was he projected it on a wall. Then he turned the painting upside down. And he actually painted all the stuff on the wall in another room. And mm. he did it upside down. Hmm. But I'm sure he turned it right side up whenever to, you want to get an expression on an eyeball. or. But like it would help him have very accurate, of course, accurate photos. Yeah. So you're saying those were the photos you used to look at the arm measurements. And yeah. go, I think that's how long. If you have a, something with Vermeer, you can be perfect. But a lot of times you don't have a roof. Like Vermeer doesn't play, paint hurdy-gurdies mm. or sultries, that sort of thing. So you end up with having to issues, whatever, but you get a pretty good idea. Very interesting. That's something I wouldn't have thought of uh, at all. So thank you for explaining the background of that artist, because to me, when you said you look at a photo and you look at the arms and thinking, what if it's like this miniature photo? How do you know? So Oh, it wouldn't matter because you did yeah, the math. Yeah, yeah. It's just the only thing that won't work is a foreshortened view. Yeah. Like if an arm is reaching for you, then you don't, you don't know no what it is. That, that arm is. But yeah. if it's like this, you can get an exact of, of someone, but then you have to guess how tall he was. And most likely he was five foot six. So 
very cool way of you know calculating i have to say and also in light of that how many different types of renaissance instruments have you created or like types that you can think of off the top of your head I like can name them yes yes classic uh, the orbo yeah lute oud organistrum hurdy-gurdies yeah I don't know, my mind's blank. I'm running <laughs> No worries. There's a lot. There's a lot. And so I wanted to ask too, when you were making these instruments, that wasn't like your main thing at the time. When did it kind of become more of a main thing? Because you have this whole other career Bizarre. that you created with the Wacky Wizard. And, and that oh, in no. itself is really incredible that you really made a living in this other space that's kind of unusual. Well, I, was, uh, I did family magic, family entertainment, children's entertainment, but I was the wacky wizard. Mm -hmm. And I did actual magic tricks, but my persona was, I have had this trunk, I didn't know where I got it, I didn't know how the, I knew how I got it, it was my uncle's, but I didn't know anything about the magic, so I would start to show off, and I would be the victim of all of my magic. <laughs> and yeah, the children yeah. absolutely loved it. By the time I was done, I had them completely convinced I was six years old and an idiot. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. If I'd done that, I had succeeded. <laughs> yeah. And so you created that whole persona, that show, and toured Saskatchewan, right? Doing this. Yeah, BC, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. Alberta. I, yeah, that, that, that pretty much covers it. Yeah. And so I guess one of the reasons I bring this up is because between the wacky wizard and you creating these instruments in a way is a way you created art but you were able to make a living off of it so in some ways how did you let people that's the real magic yeah how yeah, did you let to people... make a magic trick no big deal but to get paid for it that yes is, yes totally trick. so how did you let people know because i'm sure you know as an artist it's really great when you get to do what you love to do and you can live off of it. I so can, how did you let people know what you were up to and I can show you pictures and, and get them interested in and you know I built a truck. Hmm. So basically with your first endeavor as the wacky wizard, you're saying you decorated this truck, you made it look very elaborate and eye catching and that got people interested. So people were calling you. You didn't have to market yes. yourself to people. And the, well I put my name in the phone afterward that was way back when they had phone books. <laughs> so put my yes. number in the phone but so usually somebody had already seen the truck yes and then they saw the ad and that's how it worked it all pieced together and so going from your years of doing the wacky wizard and learning how to promote that sort of creativity did any of that give you lessons then when you started doing these instruments of how to let people know you're doing this as well not really. No, mm. there's no, there's not there's much no, of a spillover. There's not too there's much, not much correlation. Uh, no, the instruments was like I, I, I worked weekends almost every weekend, and then once in a while we'd go on the road for two months, mm. doing the Wacky Wizard show. But the rest of the time was just downtime, and so yeah. that's when I go in the shop and make instruments. But see, I never intended for that to be a business. It just okay. It was a hobby. So it was a hobby. So do you mind telling us how that became a business? Well, um, people found out about it, like you, and people would come put me in the paper and stuff, and then people started wanting me to make things for them. So I did. You said people found out about it. Was it just you telling your friends, like people you 
knew like, hey, this is a hobby I've been up to and come see these interesting creations I'm making. No, I never <laughs> could self-promote. Okay. So mm. everything I do has to speak for, for me. I can't, mm. I can't go out and say, hey, you need to... Uh, you know, if I was a salesman, I'd have already started it out. <laughs> fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I have to admit, I'm probably very similar. Yeah, so what I will say then is you actually seem to have discovered when you start creating these instruments, though, that there was a community kind of around this. Do you mind telling our audience? Because I think some people might be surprised to know there's like a whole community around Renaissance instruments. Oh, yes. There's a, it's a big deal. And there's a movement back away from the electric music, which, you know, as soon as they come on, they, they hit a chord, it pins you to the wall, and you hang there until they, they let you go, to the music that you actually sit down and enjoy like a good meal. And uh, it's it's something new. Like even, even in uh, this town is... I would say, music-wise, it's not a world leader, but there are there's quite a few groups here that do Renaissance-type music, medieval music, mm. that sort of thing. Right. The Troubadours is one of the groups. Yeah. The, uh, there's a there's a brass band that uses all of the old uh, Baroque-type musics, that sort of thing. Yeah, very interesting. Like, what was your biggest surprise when you started making these instruments and connecting with these communities? Was there anything when you actually got into the community of the Renaissance, you know, performers and people who actually want these instruments that surprised you that, yeah? I guess it surprised me somebody's willing to pay for it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair you enough. can't get it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I found out even people of a meager means will figure out how to buy an instrument, like an arch lute. Yeah. A customer from Alberta yeah. bought a, one of an arch lute. And yeah. it, it has three peg boxes and it has 30 strings. Mm-hmm. I've got pictures of it I can show you. It's an incredible instrument. It took me a long time to make it, but I had no problem with the, with the price, which was high. Not that I made a lot of money, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the you, when you consider the hours, mm-hmm. that's uh, that surprised me. That's interesting. Where is the furthest someone has called you from to request an instrument? Uh, I got one from Holland. A guy wanting a Clarsac, but when he got the price, changed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Holland. It would probably cost as much to ship it there as it would to buy it. Mm. But uh, it, it never happened, but that's the furthest away. And then with the instrument creation itself, uh, do you mind telling our audience too, how long do these Renaissance instruments actually take to put together? I can give you a, a guess on months. I never pay any attention. Right, right. When I do a customer's, I tell them it's a year, and it usually only takes me about three months. Right. So, so they're happy. <laughs> yeah. you rather like... I don't want know, to be rushed. Yeah. Like you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. Yes, so you're yeah. like, I'll give you a year. <laughs> then they're like, oh, I got it way earlier. Okay. Yeah, I, I do want like an estimate because I'm sure every project is so different and unique. And um, you'll see in the video, like there's intricate details and painting and all sorts of things that are actually on these instruments. But just like a rough like um, idea between like 
like a lute versus like a hurdy-gurdy. You'll see it's kind of like, <laughs> it has this wind-up feature to it. I can't remember all the names, but there's a lot of stringed instruments as well. So roughly, what's, yeah, that, maybe that's another question I should ask. What's the shortest you've ever taken on building one of these instruments and the longest you've taken? Oh, I probably can't help you there. Just delivered a hurdy-gurdy to a lady uh, to BC and I spent, I think, two months making it. That was a very short project. And then are the, there ones like that have the, taken you like six months? Like or the Bosch loop, probably at least eight months to a year. I'd, wow. And I paid no attention to the time. Because wow, wow. when I started, that wasn't my source of income. I wasn't worried about it. Mm. I could take as long as I wanted. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And so, and that's kind of a beautiful thing too, because it was a hobby. It was something you enjoyed. You enjoyed the research, you enjoyed the creation. So you didn't have this pressure of time or anything. And so, yeah, for this one, because it was so different when people were asking for, you know, commission-based projects, things like that. Was it through your site they were finding you? Was it a site you created? Was it, yeah. How did you even let people know before you had your site and things? Through word of mouth. Through word of mouth. Yeah. 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 And people like you doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah, word of word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And actually, I also want to segue into this other part because you don't just make these instruments you actually do lessons i believe and you um, teach these different instruments and yeah, you've done some performances I'm not that much of a musician mm. i can learn to play a song on almost any instrument mm -hmm. but as far as somebody compared to a real musician who makes their living just playing yeah, that's not me that's not your main thing. No, it's not. It's lack of talent. I don't really have. <laughs> I don't really have the talent to do that. I think sometimes anybody can learn anything, but some people are born to do something. Like Michelangelo was born to paint the ceiling, in Sistine Chapel. Yeah, and I guess the reason I'm asking that question is I think a while back when we um, talked. I, I think there were some instruments you said that people kind of gathered in your house for lessons for, but the instructor was all the way in Ireland or something yes, like well, that? Yes, well, we still do that. We'll be yeah. doing that this Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the uh, early Irish, early Irish harp, harp Club. And then yeah. this is a harp, it's a harp, but it's called a Clark's Act. Mm. And it's from about the 12th to 14th century mm. is when it, when in its heyday. Mm. And uh, that's one of my favorite instruments. Very cool. Um, are there a lot of instructors like this around the world for the different instruments you made that can really think, help people in this area? Uh, I think you have to go to Ireland. To, to really get into There's it. some people in the yeah. States that are, oh, uh, Anne Heyman in the States, Cynthia Cascart is in the States, and they teach. That's a pretty rare instrument. It's an expensive instrument, and it's not a practical instrument because it's what I call monochromatic. It's all the white notes on the piano. Mm. So if you want to play something in the key of G, what you have to do is you have to sharpen the F, and so that you end up with the F sharp. If you want to play in the key of uh, D, you have to yeah. sharpen the C and the F. And then if you need a C or an F, you're yeah. without it. So it's, it's a very limited instrument. Also, like two final questions. One of them is, if you met someone who saw this video and they're like, you know, I actually like really am interested in this. I'm really interested in learning about Renaissance, the instruments, just getting into this space. Um, what would you suggest to them 
in terms of starting that journey. To make it or play it? Uh, either one, yes. Oh. <laughs> well, Kelly is starting to learn how to make them. Mm -hmm. But uh, to mm -hmm. play it, uh, getting one, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. your, that's your biggest chore. And, yeah. Uh, regretfully, there's a lot of these instruments, yeah. like on eBay and Amazon, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But most of them are great for hanging in a restaurant for ambiance, but Not they're no playing. good for playing. So, yeah. yeah, I would suggest that even if you have to buy a plane ticket to go try it, mm. don't buy it on the mail side of the scene. Mm. And uh, then just get in touch with everybody you can. Go go to the internet, go talk to people. If you want to play a clock sack, give it a uh, uh, Siobhan Armstrong. Siobhan uh, Armstrong. Like she knows more about the Irish harp than anybody I know. Mm. All you have to do is Google her name, put Ireland and, and the name Clarsack. And, mm. uh, it'll all come up. They have mm -hmm. conventions where they rent castles and people go there and stay and have... Wow. It, I've never been able to afford to do it, but it sounds like fun. <laughs> that sounds like a really good time. <laughs> yeah. So really creating yeah. that renaissance. When you get back, tell me all about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So that's awesome. So that's the playing part, really knowing how to source. And then the building part. Are there a lot of people like you that they can learn this from? Because there's like so much... Um, research you've done and work that goes into that. I, I don't know of anyone else mm -hmm. uh, okay. who does it. Like a lot of people make one instrument, but I don't know of anybody who, that I could just say, go talk to this guy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people I know who make guitars, who make violins, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the, the instruments that I make, you can't buy them at Walmart. <laughs> and um, very... I got a little story. I, I did a show, we did a presentation at the theater down on 22nd Street. Oh, anyway, I was doing a presentation there during one of the shows, and some guy came up and he says, so where did you get this instrument? And I said, well, I made it. And he yeah. says, well, where did you get the kit? And I said, it's, it's not a kit. And he said, said well, where did you get this? Yeah. Where did you get that? And I said, well, I made everything but the strings. I bought the strings. Everything well, else I made. Yeah. And so, but he just couldn't get it in his head. Yeah. And then finally, he pointed to the crank on the hurdy-gurdy, which I made. Yeah. Anyway, he says, well, where'd you get the crank? And I said, oh, Walmart in the hurdy-gurdy aisle. Oh. And then he was happy. He walked away happy. He knew, he knew where to go get one. <laughs> Interesting. So actually, are you planning on doing classes in the future, anything in the future that would... Um, help people to know how to make these instruments um, since you notice there's just not a lot of people in this space that do that no I, I don't have any plans for the future <laughs> yeah. just, fair enough I'm just doing what I do That's and sometimes fair. people come along and great and if, you, mm. if I can help you I will yeah yeah very very good and then my last one was what do you value the most about where you are today and the fact that you've gotten to you know create all these incredible instruments and and learn about this space what do you value the most about that opportunity well i have to say my wife's a big part of it yeah if it wasn't for her i'd probably be homeless <laughs> but anyway uh. When we're on the Wacky uh, Lizard tour, she did all. She's the brains in the family. She did all the booking, took care of all the money, and then the same with the instruments. Like 
Awesome. She takes care of all that sort of thing. Love so that. Yeah. I yeah. Think that's that's a huge part of what made you successful. That's, yeah, that's yes. the reason I'm not homeless on the street. <laughs> love <laughs> that. my hurdy gurdy for chin. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Shout out to Weldon's wife. Definitely. Where can we find you? Where can the audience find you and your work and learn more about you online? Graylorlutes.com. That graylorlutes.com. So if you want to know more about Weldon, more about the Renaissance work he's doing, be sure to check out that website. I believe he has some videos up of different things he's done. And yeah, and if you're watching this episode, you'll see that we have clips of the different instruments as well. And so if you've enjoyed this, be sure to let me know how you enjoyed this special edition episode we did today. And be sure to follow Weldon and all his projects and share his story. So thank you so much, Weldon. Thank you. It was fun.